Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez. And today I have here a really special guest, Kara Sherman. Sherman. Uh, Kara Sherman. She's visiting us from Great Lakes Intertribal Council in Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much. I was fortunate to be in your presentation today. And uh, can you explain to our friends who are listening, what is the Tribal Council consists on? Great Lakes Intertribal yeah. Council is a nonprofit organization that serves the 11 tribes of Wisconsin through a variety of different programming. Okay. And um, so during your presentation, you were talking about the, some of the trainings that you guys offer for providers. I saw the... I was uh, I was really impressed with the circle. Uh, how do you call it? Uh, project. We the. we did a project called increasing cultural congruence among nurses in Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, that was 2012 to 2015. That was a uh, grant partnership between Great Lakes Intertribal Council and the UW uh, Madison School of Nursing and Public Health. Okay, and. Um, and uh, something that really caught my attention is when you say that some of the providers of nurses who were there didn't were aware or how can we say it, um, sitting in a circle and and people uh, sharing, and some might take long, and and yes. and and I I mean I can imagine I, w I almost can see their faces like okay how long this person is gonna be talking but but you know once you open like that. It's, it's incredible. Can you describe how, right. how was, that, was so, that experience? Teaching the cultural congruence aspect, it was through the process of talking circles, which is a cultural-based way of learning and sharing. And we had talking circles set up with nurses and patients together. Um, and typically, there's no time frame for it. Um, you start when we're ready to start, and we're done when everyone has had a chance to say what they want to say. So it's hard for... Uh, you know, healthcare systems and administrators to understand that, you know, we may not have a definite start time or a definite ending time. Um, but we try to accommodate them a little bit. And most of the talking circles were anywhere from two to four hours, depending on the size of the circle. Um, some people, you know, had a lot to say and others had very little to say. Um, but in the talking circle experience, you um, basically have to use a lot of active listening and wait for your turn uh, to speak. And what was the outcomes? I mean, what was the feedback from the providers who were there? Uh, they really, really enjoyed it. We did um, a few different sites, uh, St. Croix, Bad River, Lac de Flambeau, and Milwaukee. And we had nurses from not only the tribal health centers in those communities, but also healthcare systems outside of the tribal community itself. So um, I think at first they were a little leery, a little hesitant about it, but as the process went, went on, which was a series of five circles over 10 weeks, by the time we got to the end, there were uh, a lot of tears of, you know, and a lot of laughter, people wanting the circles to continue because now they had established a relationship. And it wasn't just patient and nurse. I mean, everyone was, was there as equals talking about different experiences they've had in life. Yeah, and, and you also shared that a lot of them, they were not aware of the history, the trauma, of these generations of families have gone through. Um, can you explain a little bit for the people who is not familiar with the, 
that era when kids were taken. How how do you describe that era? When, the uh, boarding school era? Yeah. Yeah. Our facilitator, Dr. Sonny Smart, um, who's a professor at UW-Stevens Point and Bad River tribal member, um, incorporated in the talking circles uh, different historical uh, teachings and one of them was about understanding the unique relationship that natives have with the government and specifically the boarding school era as we call it where um, schools were set up and children were often taken from homes under the guise of um, a great educational opportunity but sent to boarding schools um, usually far away from home with very little access, if any, to their family or returning home. And they were taught a very different way of learning, um, a way that is not... They were not allowed to use their own language? Typically not allowed to use their own language or practice any cultural customs in any way, um, whether it was clothing, language, um, certain way they would wear their hair. Um, and they, these things were systematically taken from them um, through the boarding school experience. And it was also a very different way of learning, not typically uh, within our culture how things are being taught um, through the use of stories and things like that. That's traditionally how we would learn. The boarding school is a very different um, way of doing that and basically eradicating a large part of the culture. And um, children lost identity through that. There was also significant physical and sexual abuse uh, that had occurred and a lot of those children lost their culture. And what are the, some of the symptoms of the trauma of the border school era? Well, the historic, the historical trauma that permeates today, um, we see every day within our communities, whether it's in the form of suicide, alcohol, and drug abuse. And this is in the abuse. rural area and, and urban area. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's not... So suicide, what else? Yep, suicide, depression, uh, anxiety. Um, it could be the alcohol and drug abuse as well. Um, different uh, conflicts around identity mm -hmm. um, and mental health concerns that a lot of coexistence of disorders, violence um, against women, which is not a traditional way of treating women and children, but violence within our population, addiction. Also, uh, something else that I liked during your presentation was the... Um, the relationship there is in the Native Americans communities with medicine. Can yes. you describe a little bit some of that? Um, they say that uh, traditionally there's a, a medicine for everything, a natural medicine for everything. So a lot of whether it's plants, um, parts of different animals, uh, berries, different food, there is a medicine for everything. And we have a unique relationship with a lot of the natural elements in that there are our medicine. So Typically, tobacco, cedar, sage, sweet grass, water, uh, things like that. And tobacco, sage, cedar, and sweet grass are our main four medicines, and they also um, are, you know, are tied to the four directions as well: north, south, east, and west. Um, but tobacco, we uh, use a lot in prayer; can be used as a gift. Also, sage, we use um, as a medicine to cleanse someone spiritually and emotionally. Um, but it can also be used for physical as well. Mm -hmm. But burning that and using that smoke um, to cleanse somebody, that's a medicine. Yeah, and I like how you, what, what when you describe it, there, when you burn it, is the, it takes the, the smoke, takes the, the... The smoke is the prayer going up to the Great Spirit, that prayer is being carried up in the smoke. Okay. 
And um, so all these things were uh, presented to this to the providers and people who come. You bring this kind of awareness. Yes. And during in your um, on the Great Great Lakes area travel health board. That's what kind of. What is the mission of the? Well, the Great Lakes Area Tribal Health Board. Um, its mission is to represent the tribal communities in urban areas within the Great Lakes. Um, three-state region of Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Okay. But the Tribal Health Board itself is tasked with um, advocating for our communities in terms of addressing health disparity and prevention of chronic disease, and also advocating for increased funding through Indian Health Service. But in conjunction with Great Lakes Intertribal Council, uh, we also have gone out and done the educating about cultural congruence in healthcare and one of our epidemiologists at Great Lakes, uh, Isaiah Brokenleg, has done a fantastic job of going out and educating healthcare uh, providers around those very topics that we spoke of today. And also, what is the health disparities uh, that more affect the Native American communities on the Great Lakes area? I, I, I hear you mention that it shifts from alcohol to now being what? Uh, we're seeing quite the increase and the focus on opioid abuse. Um, but, you know, our top health uh, priority areas across the region, certainly diabetes and cancer is something mm -hmm. that's always going to be prevalent up there um, that we're trying to address. But also this increase in synthetic um, drugs, synthetic marijuana, mm -hmm. um, neonatal abstinence syndrome among babies that are being born drug addicted and opioid abuse, but also suicide and domestic violence. Wow. So, we have a lot to work of work to do. <laughs> and how long has been uh, the board being put together? Uh, the board has been in place for um, since about 2012. However, um, it's been pretty self-sustaining in that they did not have a real like a an administrative home or a staff um, until this past year when the um, Center for Disease Control awarded the Great Lakes Epidemiology Center um, the Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country project. And so with those monies, we were able to develop uh, this position to sustain the health board. And Great Lakes Intertribal Council is the administrative home of the health board. But the health board also functions under the umbrella of the Midwest Alliance of Sovereign Tribes. Um, so with my position, you know, I'm able to help coordinate the board and raise awareness and, and help us, you know, kind of a team approach to the mm -hmm. direction that we're going to go so that we can be more of a collective voice for the Great Lakes area. Yeah, and I also like, uh, thank you, I also like the, when you were addressing kind of the stereotypes that the people think about Native Americans, like uh, you were talking about the casino that everybody thinks like, like, oh, everybody gets a piece of the pie, mm -hmm. and that's not the case. Can right. you explain a little bit? Uh, yeah, we... During the education that you guys provide. Right. We're, um, you know, getting information out there to address several different stereotypes, um, and this helps healthcare providers in turn understand the population that they're working with, um, but specifically around per capita, so the payments that um, some tribes invest back to their tribal members as part of their gaming revenue, from the gaming revenue, and some tribes, um, you know, some people think that everyone gets a per capita check, and that's not uh, the case. And so we talked a little bit about how 
there's only a certain amount that actually have enough gaming revenue to generate a per capita check back to their tribal members. But then also um, quite a few tribes use that gaming revenue to reinvest back into their community. So it can't be assumed that every tribal member gets a per capita check from their tribe because they're not all generating that kind of money. Yeah, and also you addressed the other, another uh, stereotype is the when people think like, everybody was born in the reservation or some urban. In your case, you mentioned you were born, you went to the urban setting and then came back to the right. to the nation? Um, yeah, when we typically ask people, ver uh, when we talk about reservation versus uh, urban settings, where do most natives live? And a lot of people have the misconception that all natives are on reservations, and it's actually the opposite. Um, There's more natives in the urban areas than there are on reservations. But also, um, for a large part of the population, it's this walking between two worlds type thing. Um, they may have been born and raised on the reservation, but then relocated to an urban area um, and may have come back to the reservation. And so I gave the example of myself, um, you know, being raised on the Lac de Flambeau Reservation. And then How was that growing up there? Can you describe it to us? Um, I... I At that time, I didn't know that it was any different than anybody else's right. childhood. So to me, I thought it was good, um, uh, you know, growing up, seeing the things that... Where we, is that in Wisconsin? Uh, it's northern Wisconsin in Vilas County. So okay. we're not too far from upper Michigan and Lake Superior. I see. Um, but I, I thought it was a great experience. It's helped shape who I am today. I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, but looking back, you know, I did see a lot of... Um, alcohol abuse and violence in the community and I suppose at that time it was somewhat normalized um, but also I think the larger part is growing up in a community that um, is used to doing so much with so little um, so there's a real commitment there to um, try to make things better and um, you know do things for the community to uh, make things more positive for the kids growing up and take care of our elders and our veterans and those types of qualities in a in a community you know i i thought that was great and i would never change that part of it and so where where do you go once it was time to go to, you move out to go to school somewhere i i left after high school to go to marquette university in milwaukee and originally i had intended to be a heart surgeon so i went to marquette university um thinking that that was going to come easy to me. And, and uh, I guess those freshman chemistry and biology labs weeded me out. But um, I ended up changing my junior year, uh, my major to be criminology and law studies. And that really was because uh, we had a speaker in one of my classes who was a crisis response counselor at the Sexual Assault Treatment Center. And it was right then that I realized that that's what I wanted to do. So I changed my major and um, I ended up getting a job with the Milwaukee Police Department in the Sensitive Crimes Division as their victim liaison. So our wow. unit responded to domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, uh, crimes against animals, um, elder abuse, um, uh, child abuse as well. So and how I was, long you went on the force? Uh, for 10 years. Wow. Yep. Um, so it was very rewarding, um, really amazing work that the Milwaukee Police Department has done around addressing domestic violence and some innovative things in their response and working with nonprofits and making it kind of like a coordinated community response to addressing um, violence against women and children. But then also um, I just started to feel that it was time to come back home. I had been in Milwaukee then for 16 years at that point. Uh, so 
I was looking for, you know, wanting to get back home near my mom and uh, my family members. And um, Great Lakes Intertribal Council was hiring for the cultural congruence project. So that's what I came back to do. Yeah. Talking about family, also you you, um, you did a presentation also on the breakdown of grouping. Can you explain that oh, a little bit to our friends who are listening? Yeah, we were talking I like about... Really, I like this one a lot. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were talking about um, tribes that use the clan system versus non-clans and um, just the breakdown of understanding that a tribe... Um, you know, can be, uh, there's bands within a tribe. Um, so for instance. So a band of a tribe, that would be like, a, is that because ge geography or how can that be? Yes. What, what is the, um, well, the parameters? Traditionally, the tribes, I mean, were covered a very expansive land region. Um, so within tribes, bands formed and settled in certain areas. So when we said tribes versus nations, what is that equal? Um, yes. So for example, there's the Oneida Nation, um, mm -hmm. but and but Oneida is considered a tribe, mm -hmm. as well as Ojibwe. And then within Ojibwe, there are different bands. So f for example, in Wisconsin, there's six bands of Ojibwe um, that are within the state, and they are you know. Uh, spread out to other geographic areas, but they have commonalities as well when it comes to um, spelling and and uh, language and certain cultural customs, although there may be different dialects okay. within the language. So so it's tribes, bands, and then what was the other? They also um, families oh, and families. clan systems. And, yes. clan systems. and also I, I, I learned something today. Well, I was learning off in your presentation, clans, and you say they all described also by animals. Can you share that with us? Um, or yes. So, for example, a clan system um, is like for for us. It's set up through animals, and um, for our tribe, we have uh, seven animals that determine the clan system. And certain animals have different qualities and characteristics that um, those families are a part of. So, um, one clan may be the the teachers, the philosophers. So by, by before colonization, those clans were like taking care of all the youngers, the teachers, or how, how did that? Well, the families belonged to the clan system and that was the role that you had within that tribe. Uh -huh. So certain families that are of a certain clan had the role of the philosophers or the teachers, mm. or um, they had the role of the police or the medicine people. I mean, that's, that's what you're family was at that time and they pass the knowledge and and they pass you know things down and a lot of tribes still use clan system um it's passed down some tribes passed down through the father some passed down through the mother um so uh our our tribe still operates you know using a clan system and um, many families still identify with their clan animal and you were sharing also uh, some of history of your family was your mom pass out part of the um, era of the boarding school or uh, she didn't no she she was not but my grandmother was um from that time but my mom um she was not in a boarding school my mom um was born actually in hayward wisconsin and grew up in lac de flambeau but my grandmother had come to lac de flambeau from oklahoma um when she was very young i think about 19 um in order to be a teacher okay so, and that's how she met my grandfather and and yeah. our very large family now exists up there. Yeah. 
Well, it's amazing. I mean, all the history there there is now there there is uh, no in the books. And and thank you so much for sharing with us today and sharing uh, at Mayo Clinic today. And I got the opportunity to, opportunity to be in your presentation. Also, you share at the end a really personal story about your mother. Yes. And how how. Um, you guys, well, you share with our friends because this <laughs> it was amazing and I really uh, enjoyed that. It was just a personal experience that my mom and our family had with the healthcare system, actually multiple healthcare systems. But I, I tell that story to illustrate the point of um, incorporating traditional medicine with Western medicine and how those two different worlds of medicine are are very different for us. Um, you know, Western medicine is very uh, sterile and the provider is. You know, they, they keep their distance from the patient and all that. And with traditional medicine, it's uh, it's not like that. The provider is seen as, you know, much more closer to you, and they address all parts of, of life. And um, so for her story, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in May of 2014, and um, certainly there was plenty of the Western system. What is the, usually the outcome with somebody of her age is diagnosed with that? Um, so I, I think I think that they had no hope for her, um, given her age and the size of the mass at that time. Um, I think they had very little hope for her, if any. Um, I kind of felt that many times they were just going through the motion because we were pushing them to, you know, keep fighting, and um, that we weren't satisfied with the few options we were being given. We were going to keep looking and. That's how we ended up going to UW-Madison to ask for help there. And um, part of that addressing, again, addressing all parts, you know, it's not just the physical, but it's addressing the mental and the spiritual. Um, we went to um, a couple of uh, what I call uncles, our Uncle Ernie and Uncle Sonny, and asked them to help treat my mom. You know, I wanted, I wanted them to share some of their medicine with her as well. And we found out through that process that it wasn't just about healing her, but it was about healing and taking care of those of us around her because everyone in our family was being affected by her diagnosis and all of that. And so... And do you recognize that? Or that was after the, you noticed that it also was curing you, treating you, going through that process? Um, I recognized it was having a toll on our family, certainly. Um, but at the time when we did the healing ceremony... For my mom, I thought it was just for her. And Uncle Ernie and Uncle Sonny, you know, taught us later that it was just as much, you know, for me and my brother and sister and the rest of my family as it was for her. It was for everyone because everyone was a part of it. It wasn't just happening to her. Um, and we found, you know, incorporating that traditional medicine with the Western medicine, um, you know, got us to the point where she finally had uh, a rather extensive surgery done to remove what we thought was cancer at the time. And we came to find out later um, from UW-Madison that she, in fact, did not have cancer. Um, and they didn't know how to explain it. Um, they said that uh, they had done a team review, a multidisciplinary team review, to um, figure out what was going on. And everything they thought in the beginning was not what it was at the end. And she did not have cancer. And um, so at this point, how long she's been diagnosed? At that point, she'd been diagnosed in May, and she finally had the surgery in November. Um, so, you and know, the ceremony was. The ceremony was, was in September. 
So, and um, how many family members were there? Can we, you describe we it? We had your um, friends because I, I like it how you said that you have to do in the hospital corporate. You know, yes, they were willing yeah. to. We had originally planned the healing ceremony to be at her home, and we had um, just our immediate family um, there. So I, I would think about 15 people. But this happened in the hospital, right? And. Um, she took a little bit of a turn there in September, and she was actually in the intensive care unit twice that month uh, for pneumonia and congestive heart failure. And it got to the point where I had to call her surgeon at Madison and say she is not going to make it to the surgery because the chemo is going to kill her before this cancer does. And they actually stopped the chemo, but she had gotten so sick at that point. Um, and the the hospital that we were at was actually part of the Increasing Cultural Congruence project the year before. So um, we went to them explaining that we had this healing ceremony we wanted to do. She's not at home. Can we bring it there? And they were very accommodating. And I was very relieved and very impressed that um, they were so welcoming um, to have this different type of medicine to them mm -hmm. um, come into the hospital. And we um, basically took over their waiting room for the rest of that day, and they allowed us to bring food that we had prepared at home um, into the hospital, and they brought her out of her room because, as you know, most ICU rooms are very small, so we weren't mm -hmm. all going to fit in there, and they brought her to um, the waiting room, and her doctor, her primary care physician, um, uh, Adrian Lavender, who's Turtle Mountain Ojibwe, and she works at Peter Christensen Health Center, was just absolutely phenomenal and very integral in my mom's journey and her healing from all this. So her doctor was there to um, not only monitor her um, but physically, to be part of it. right, but to also be part of the ceremony. And uh, we, the hospital allowed us to take her outside. How many people participate? Um, between fifteen and twenty. So, yeah. yeah, that's not typical in a hospital. Yeah, there right. <laughs> yeah. So that's we were great. able to take her outside and do the part of the ceremony that required burning the sage and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was a very uh, uplifting day. This is great, Kara. Thank you for all the work you guys are doing. Where can people contact you? Um, I'm located at Great Lakes Intertribal Council in Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin. Um, so I can be reached at 715 588 1033. And website? Um, well, that would be glitc.org. And if you click on the links for um, the Epidemiology Center, you'll have our information there. And uh, we do have a uh, page on Facebook that you can like, the Great Lakes Area Tribal Health Board. And what do you guys do in the Epidemiology? Epidemiology Center. Epidemiology <laughs> Center. Um, well, we are a department that works with the 34 tribes of the Great Lakes area and the four urbans, doing a variety of different things um, around research and addressing health disparities and health trends as well. And we have um, four epidemiologists on staff, and actually um, three of them are located here um, are in Minneapolis. Um, and then we have one back in Lac de Flambeau, and then, oh, I should say a fifth one, who's our evaluator for our project. But um, we have epidemiologists on maternal health, chronic disease, and behavioral health. What would you say to somebody who's getting into research and they w would like to work with communities, uh, Native American communities? What would it be your best, you know, this is, I'm going to give you this coin and this magic uh, gift of knowledge what would you give it to them when they want to approach well i'm going to share what i borrow from sunny smart and he talks about 
your dot of knowledge needs to stay small. And what he means by that is that um, we all know somebody whose dot of knowledge is really huge, therefore they don't have room to learn anything else because they already think they know everything. But if you keep your dot of knowledge small, there's always room to learn new things, and especially when you're going into our communities, which again are very unique because of the historical mistrust with government and research. It's important to remember that you don't know everything, and you have to be willing to learn as much as possible. It's also very important to make good relationships and alliances with tribal leaders and health directors in our community in order you know, to do that team approach addressing uh, whatever aspect you're looking at within that community. And um, thank you. You also shared the, you also shared the, oh, you shared so much information there. Now I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard to put a, words in what I'm trying to say. I, I was really impressed with your presentation. Thank, thank you. you so much. And uh, I just want to invite our friends that if you want to share something with our with our audience here in the community board, please follow us on Twitter, on their community board, on Facebook, community board, on iTunes, community board, podcast, SoundCloud, also community board, sound, uh, community board, podcast. Uh, it's been, I've, I've been away for two weeks on the podcast, so I'm kind of rusty now. Anyways, how's the weather in Wisconsin? Well, we just hey, had Bing, snow a lot not too not too long ago. Snow. So oh. I know it was just I think a few weeks ago that we had snow, but um, we've had some good rain this past week, and yeah, it was heavy rain over here um, too. But yeah, I think it's going to be getting better. Summer's finally here. All right. Well, it's almost official. Summer, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. Are you guys doing any powwows well, uh, coming yes. up? Yeah, we have our annual powwow in Lac de Flambeau in July. Um, I believe it's July 9th and 10th that weekend. It's um, called the Bear River. And it's open Power. to everybody. Everybody Open to the public. Um, there is a grand entry Friday night. What um, can people experience in a powwow in Biden? Uh Some of the most beautiful things that you'll ever see uh, is at a powwow. Um, there's going to be a lot of people there, a lot of um, beautiful uh, dance regalia, um, different styles of dance. Uh, it's a traditional powwow, so... Um, you get to see a lot of exciting things there that you might not see at other powwows. Um, a lot of good food, and there's vendors there that you can buy um, crafts and jewelry. Um, and it's just it's a really good time for families to come on out, and, and it's in a beautiful setting right on the Bear River on the Lac de Flambeau Reservation. Um, so it's it's a good time. Great. I'm going to put some uh, links to your agency and also to your information for everybody who wants to contact you okay. in our website. SmartRightNetwork.net. I remember now what I was going to ask you. Uh, wait, wait. Re- Before rewind, you lose rewind. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. When the work that you're doing with the Near American communities, and you said that sometimes people mention, like, wow, why are you always fighting these things? Or why you want these rights? And you mentioned there is, there is not something you're asking for, there is something was promised. And right. it's been broken. Never right. happened. Yeah, um, we talk about the the native population as a unique community of color, unlike other ones. And you know, some people will characterize it as like some fight for equal rights, and it's different for us because it's fighting for rights that we already had, that were already promised to us. That's that's different than fighting for equal rights. So, um, I think the example I gave was 
regarding spearfishing and um, you know the treaties were made for the ceded territory and and certain rights were promised to be retained for the population and today you still see the controversy where people think that we should not be able to hunt and fish and and gather the way that we do yeah Kara so thank you so much thank, thank you for you. being here and anytime you want to come back please great thank you you have open doors here with us thank you so much stay tuned for our next episode on the community board podcast and outside there is getting sunny bye bye